and the Lord God commanded, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, that phrase, surely die, as emphatic as it sounds in our language, is even more so in the Hebrew language in which it was originally penned by Moses. When God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, well, essentially just to Adam first or initially, he said, when you eat of it, you will surely die. If you look it up in your concordance or on a Bible software program, you will find you will surely die. Literally means or can be translated. God said, if you eat of this tree dying, you shall die. <laughs> what a perfect description of sin. Living in a sinful environment, dying, you shall die. Because death comes already in your heart, in your spirit. Now, as a result, your body will follow. So you will surely die. Dying, you will die. Isn't that an upbeat note to begin the program on? This is Peter John with you for Rogue Grace. And there is the upbeatness. Grace. Ever since that moment, Adam and Eve took that fruit. We have been in need of not our own righteousness, but to be covered by God. Not just me and not only you, but the person you're driving behind. The person sitting in your office, the person who left for work. We all are in need of grace because dying we shall die because of our jealousy our rage or our pettiness our distractions dying already we are ultimately going to die but not through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus didn't just come to give us laws and rules and morals, but also he came that you might have a life. And not only life, but life more abundantly. Now, when Jesus talks about life, and life abundantly. He's talking there in John to a group of people whose hearts were already beating, whose lungs were already breathing. That means he must be talking about a whole nother level of life. In fact, not just a level, levels. Something I still am learning to discover 
and will to my final breath, the levels of life that are found in Jesus the Christ. He says, I will give you life. And the word there, I will give you life, is not the typical word that we might use for physical life or science. It's not the word bio, as you may know. He says, I will give you life. The word is, as you may know, zoe, Z-O-E, the highest form of life. The life of God himself or God kind of life. It is a life that is greater than death. That's why this life swallows up death. It is a gift of God is Zoe life. Aren't you glad you have this life? If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. I can't merely explain it. And it's hard enough to try and define it. You have to experience it. And it comes through the fact that though dying, we shall die. Now through Christ, dying, we shall live. His death has brought you and I life and life more abundantly. A life that swallows up death. Zoe life was not given to Adam nor Eve through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Zoe life was given to them if they would have taken it from the tree of life. So say they stay away from both trees. Just thinking out loud now, speculating to myself is all. If they stay away from both trees, if that was what had happened, which I'm simply merely speculating then you might be able to say, maybe, I'm just for your thought, that neither would they have had blatant sin as they did not take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but neither was their Zoe life. Perhaps they were in this in-between, hence they were susceptible to temptation because they were not taking of the tree of life. So they were not yet in sin and death, but neither in life. My point is this, if that's so, and even if that's not so from Genesis, it is throughout the rest of the Bible, here's the deal. The best way to overcome the law of sin and death is to walk in Zoe life. Walk in the spirit and you fulfill not the lust of the flesh because you will find that life in the spirit is a higher realm than anything that the flesh, which only brings about sin and death can offer. Praise 
the Lord.
God wants perfection from you. By that, I do not mean your behavior that is impossible in and of yourself. What I mean when I say that God wants perfection for you is not behavior, but your conscience. God wants you to have a perfect conscience. Have you thought about that? Let's do that. For the New Testament says in Hebrews, in several different places, I'll just read to you one about what God wants in your conscience. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that gifts and sacrifices offered in the Old Testament were not able to clear the conscience of a worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Listen. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. Boy, this is New Testament right now. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God, cleanse our consciousnesses, our consciences, from acts that lead to death? Cleansing your conscience. All of those Old Testament regulations sacrifices and ordinances outwardly could cleanse the woman or the man, but inwardly could not cleanse or clear the conscience. And so the conscience would continue to make its demands under the law and move people not closer to God, but away from him if all they had was going by what their conscience was telling them. See, through those sacrifices, we just read that in the Old Testament, an evil conscience could be relieved, perhaps, repressed, but they would have no peace. You cannot totally repress it. You can only maybe pretend it's not there, as it were. In the New Testament, the Bible talks about a seared conscience. And according to Thayer, a seared conscience is one perpetually conscience of sin. It is a sin consciousness. Now, apart from really taking in the gospel today, we, you and I, as will people, try to suppress the conscience. We will try to appease the conscience by doing good or being successful or 
feeling loved. This doesn't really do the job. We might try to repress the conscience in any of those things, but we will not ultimately suppress and definitely not appease the conscience by trying to score points with God and suppress the conscience by good works. It will never be enough. So what should you do? Hebrews goes on to say, clean your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Notice what it says to clean your conscience of. We might have assumed, I would have perhaps written, if it was me, clean your conscience of sin. That's not what it says. Clean your conscience. The, the Old Testament, the law says, clean your conscience of sin. But then in the New Testament, we now read, clean your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This means that there are many who are involved in good works, but they are dead works. There are many who are serving, but not serving God, simply in order to serve their evil conscience and try to appease it, try to suppress it, but they can maybe not even repress it. You don't need another Jiminy Cricket to be your preacher. Always let your conscience be your guide. You don't need to hear another sermon, how to appease your conscience. That only hurts worse. Just be, by the way, let me say, just because one is in the ministry does not mean you have a clean conscience. I think there are many in the ministry, and I won't even say it's never been me, that I am the lone exception. I think there are many in ministry who are trying to serve in order to clear their conscience. But you really, as I read in the book of Hebrews, cannot serve the living God until your conscience is free. Too many of us are serving our conscience and doing more damage than good. The answer? The blood of Jesus Christ. Let us praise the one who chose us. Let us thank the one who knows us. Set apart, blameless in his sight. Through the sun we have faith, we have life. The praise of his glorious grace. May the God of our Lord be almighty Father. 
Very 80s tune from Michael W. Smith. I didn't know what that song was. Then they we played it. I just said, play it. Played it. I happen to like that music. If you don't like that music, I don't care. <laughs> Only to say I won't try to play too much 80s music. Because I know 80s music isn't for every single person. The reason I know that is I have two daughters that are teenagers, another two that are in third grade. Actually, my eldest daughter, her favorite music is all the music I liked in high school. I don't know how I pulled that off. It's a miracle. Anyways, next song I hope to be a little more updated. But first, let's consider this. The New Covenant. I want you to think about this. How do you know what to do? A very basic question for today. And as you know, the answer is ask Jesus Christ. So, let's put it to practical use. Some brass tacks now. How do you know what is the best diet well, in the Old Testament, we have all kinds of regulations, don't we? What to eat, not to eat. You can eat all this and you can't eat that. But in the New Testament, what is the best diet? Ask Jesus. Here's one. I have a couple of daughters that are teenagers. How short should your skirt be? Now, you might be um, a Scotsman playing the bagpipes, or you might be a teenager going to South Medford. Well, in that case, it would be ask your dad. But you know what I'm saying? If, if you're <laughs> wondering to yourself, how short should the skirt be that I'm wearing? My, my answer? My answer. Ask Jesus. Here's a tough one. (laughs) 
Here's one. Should I pray with my wife? If so, should we pray for an hour? Ask Jesus. Should I drink a glass of wine? Uh Uh-oh. Where am I going? Ask Jesus. Listen to him. It's not the law of man or even the law of Moses. Not man-made laws, not even of prophets. Ask Jesus. Listen to him. And he will write his law on your heart. It's the new covenant. Can he breathe in to the dust? Can he make suns out of us? Life is in his mighty hands are is in
And the Holy Spirit is your advocate, your lawyer, Jesus says. Now, if you have a case in court, right, and you're the defendant, it is up to the lawyer to know everything and be an expert in the law. Because if your lawyer is successful, then you will be successful. If your lawyer is an expert, then that makes you an expert in the law. Thus, about our expert, our lawyer, Romans 8 verse 26 states, the Holy Spirit helps us in our infirmities. And that word help, interesting, literally translated, the Holy Spirit helps our inability to produce results. The word help is He helps our inability to produce results. It's linked with that. The word help, I should say, is literally to take together. To take together. So the Holy Spirit comes with us against the problems. He takes hold of the problem together with me and carries it. That's how he helps me in my infirmities. You too. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a counselor, a lawyer inside of you coming alongside to take together the problems, the things that you're wondering about working through. He's a counselor. He's a lawyer making intercession for you with groanings that cannot be uttered literally in the Greek language that is inexpressible. So he brings up to God where you are lacking and fills in the voids and the gaps where perhaps you have no yet knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit that's taking up your cause and making the case. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Speaking of... Tonight, the Holy Spirit will be present, powerful, as we gather in the name of the Son of God in the sanctuary to learn together his word from what has often been called the fifth gospel, the book of Isaiah, through the teaching and exposition from John Corson. So come out and join us tonight and watch and see how when the word of God is opened, the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to be your counselor. The Holy Spirit is going to be your lawyer inside of you, making your case and leading you on the way that is at seven o'clock where there are two or more gathered in his name, his spirit, our advocate, our lawyer is ever present.
wasn't too long ago that God spoke to my heart by essentially saying, pound this in to the people so that they know it goes beyond the head. Pound it so that they know it's in their heart and not just in their head. Now, you would have thought that we'd already known and studied and loved the terminology of the New Covenant. It is the New Testament. 
But my opinion and observation in 20 years of ministry now is we are still confused. It shows up in teaching and church life from coast to coast. (laughs) And the confusion is this, a mix of the old and the new covenant. Neither hot nor cold, just lukewarm. Not hot of the new covenant, not cold in the stone of the law, but this mediocre lukewarm gras. Too often, it's not the law that is preached as is often accused. That's Judaism. But many preach the mix of law and grace. And that can be even more confusing than if simply the law was preached. Because, I mean, a good liar will give you some truth, right? They happen to stretch the truth or they happen to manipulate the truth. And a good liar will not preach the complete law, but parts of it sprinkled with truth. So be sure you go to church where there's not the law and grace, but there is the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law and by him we have grace. And then we have the new covenant by which he writes his law on our hearts, established on better promises, Hebrews says, not better laws. No, I'm not saying better laws. But the problem with the law of the Old Testament was that the offense may abound, not so much that the Jewish person in the time of Moses or David would keep the law so much as show them that they were sinners. For James says, if you break one part of the law, you break it all. It's perfection or else. No grading on the curve. And those Pharisees brought the law outwardly, so Jesus had to come and bring it inward. One guy says to Jesus, I kept the whole law. He says, nope, one thing you lack. You boast in your law keeping, Christian radio listener. (laughs) Or if I do the same today, we boast in our law keeping. He will always point out something that we did not keep. In fact, that guy who said, I've kept all your commandments was guilty of breaking the very first commandment. Have no other gods before me. You boast in your keeping of the law, how religious you are. You will find out real quick just how far you have failed to do so. Here is the gospel. It is Jesus. It is all Jesus. 
not our obedience, not our law-keeping. Because if it is all Jesus, it will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, God didn't find fault with his law, but in many ways, he did find fault with the old covenant. Not because it was his fault, but rather the people. The old covenant, they could not keep the covenant. Hence, as Christians, we call it the old covenant. So when I talk that the old covenant is inferior to the new covenant, it's not just me that finds fault with the old covenant. It was God, bless his holy name, who did not like the system. Not because it was weak from him, it was weak for us. Not that it's not holy and it's not perfect, but I'm not holy nor perfect. So God now has established a covenant that's one way based on him. One that is not dependent on me because anything dependent on me is doomed to fail. If it hinges on my part, that I do my part and God will do his part, I'm in big trouble. So therefore, how many times can God say in the new covenant, in the book of Hebrews, quoting from Jeremiah, I will put your, my law on your mind and your heart. We hear God for ourselves. We don't need to depend on hearing him through someone else. I will, he says, be their God. Blessed, protected, healed, and loved by him. It all depends on God. Not if you, he says, I will. A third time, I will. He says in that new covenant statement. I will speak to them. They will hear my voice. They will know me intuitively, literally. Over and over, God says, I will. Here is, to me, the beautiful irony of the new covenant. The true fear of the Lord comes out of the revelation that you are forgiven of your sins. We always talk about, hear about, ponder the fear of the Lord. It's a good thing. It surely is made increase. But you know where it comes from? A true and authentic reception in the heart that your sin has been forgiven. Not simply a surface revelation where you're simply smiling because your sin is forgiven. Now go do whatever you want. I mean a true, authentic understanding that your sins are forgiven. 
What will hinder God from writing his law on our hearts, letting us know him? It's not sin, although you might assume that. In my opinion now, my dad, others might disagree here, and I have no problem with still learning, growing, or even defending my point of view. I do not believe sin is what keeps God from writing laws on your heart, letting you know what to do, letting you know him, being your God. Sin, we might say, that's the old covenant. Because God can't be held back by something he doesn't even remember. I will remember your sin no more. That's a double negative, literally never, ever again. So it's not sin that hinders your ability to hear God writing his law on your heart. You know what it is? Unbelief. Unbelief keeps us from receiving what he gives, not sin for the true believer. That's my opinion. Now you pray about it. Think about it. Yeah, read the Bible and see what it says. And if you disagree, you have every right to be wrong. God is still good. Thank you for tuning in. I had a good time today. Looking forward to tomorrow, if the Lord should tarry. Until then, meet us tonight at 7 p.m. as we receive the written word of God as well as the one spoken and written on our hearts. Also, I got a website, PeterJohnCorson.com. I'm always writing new things on there. You can get these broadcasts, my book, other stuff. You know, when I was in the hospital some months ago for those weeks, Patty Purcell decided to take my book and edit it. It was in desperate need of such. So where I sinned, grace abounded. So if you didn't get a copy yet of my book, you can order that on the website as well, peterjohncorson.com. The book is called, yep, it is finished. God bless.